All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 166. It's Tuesday night. This is when we like to talk to you. My name's Bob Ekhayeri. I'm your regular host here. Might as well, while I kind of fire this up and get things sorted out on my end, mention that also. If you'd like to join me for my other podcast, I'm on with CBS Sports' Shehan Jayaraja. We have the College Football Survivor Show, where we really drill down on the playoff teams. One of the games I wanted to just quickly mention is I still can't get over New Mexico State being Auburn. I mean, I've been a big fan of New Mexico State because they have that kind of underdog mentality. Oh, gosh, when they were still in the Sun Belt, I had an opportunity to, to talk to them a couple of times at Media Day down in the Superdome. And you can always sense they've got a good AD there with Mario Mocha. So this is this is really kind of an exciting game for them to see. Go and collect that $1.8 million paycheck and beat the Auburn Tigers uh, with Hugh Freeze. And again, what was remarkable is last year, New Mexico State also upset a uh, Hugh Freeze coach team with Liberty. And this time it's with Auburn. So really, it has to do with how much Jerry Kill apparently thinks of Hugh Freeze. One of the jokes I saw in RCFB is maybe his distaste for the freeze comes from his time at Minnesota, which remarkably, the last time New Mexico State beat a P5 team was 2011, and it was actually Minnesota in Jerry Kill's first season. So that that kind of circular logic. Furthermore, these teams both played UMass, the week zero game, New Mexico State. Now, as we look back, somehow dropped that game to UMass. And then the next week, UMass goes and loses to Auburn. So I'm sure this is exactly what Auburn fans wanted to imagine. They're in a circle of suck with New Mexico State and UMass. So there you go. Some more there as we kind of fire this up. I see we have someone who wants to join in the conversation. I'm going to go ahead and let you up, Cold Cheddar. I'm going to let him up here now as we kind of get things going. So yeah, Cold Cheddar, what's going on? Feel free to unmute. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, man. Where you get that cheese, Danny. You get that cheese, Danny. <laughs> so what's on your mind? Listen, not a whole lot. Love you guys. Great work. Been following the Twitter account for years. Keep it up, guys. Oh, that's really kind of you. I really appreciate that. Thanks so much. And you know, I'm gonna let up Ski Mask Smurphy. I know he loves to come up here and give some thoughts. As I'm firing that up. By the way, the game I totally missed that was announced. Speaking of cheese, Wisconsin's gonna open the 2020 2027 season in Ireland against Pittsburgh. So finally, they're getting a mix of teams up there that isn't Notre Dame and Navy, which I'm sure will hopefully give. Because I always feel bad. It always ends up being a really lopsided affair. Granted, last year they had Nebraska and Northwestern rip each other apart, and it ended up being Northwestern's only victory. But that should be kind of a fun one to mix up in 2027. Uh, I'm not sure how many Pitt fans are going to show up, but Wisconsin fans and their love of beer and Guinness, this is going to be an absolute... Oh, man, I, that, that's going to be a fun experience to see. And I can't wait for our colleagues and our compadres in Ireland, because, you know, we say compadres when you're talking about folks in Ireland. Enjoy that. Hey, Ski Mask Smurphy, what's going on? Oh, nothing. Was trying to watch college football, but everybody's stomping on one another right now. Yeah, absolutely. Night, but, it was like 24-0. It was like 24-0 at half with Eastern Michigan, although it looks like Buffalo scored eight points. So... 24-8 with Eastern Michigan. It looks like Bowling Green's up 34-10 on Western Michigan. Yeah. But staying on small football, I wanted to talk about how Appalachian State sort of did the NCAA's dirty work against JMU by winning that in overtime. 
and basically just having to quiet all everybody saying, hey, get them ranked, get them a bowl game. And now the NCAA is just sitting there like, well, you know, they're not undefeated anymore, so there's no reason to talk about this. Yeah, and I think they still could theoretically get into a bowl game if there aren't enough bowl-eligible teams. They might get a waiver, but this definitely killed their ability to go into any postseason conference play. You know, it was interesting because also I saw earlier today, and actually really earlier this evening, James Madison announced they're delaying the Virginia Attorney General's lawsuit regarding bowl eligibility, just, quote, based on the results of last week's game and the timing involved. So I think they're... That loss, I mean, App State, they're probably going to get a nice fruit basket from the NCAA and a lot of others uh, and the College Football Playoff Committee. Because that was the other thing, too. The Playoff Committee w- couldn't rank them because they were saying, like, we're just going to rely on what the NCAA says we can rank. Although they did manage to toss Liberty a bone. They're now number 25. So good for the Flames. I, I didn't think they'd ever break that because their their schedule's so weak. I mean, they put them behind the 7-4 and four Clemson team, but um, which I'm sure, again... The the I guess Dabo isn't completely dead right now. Um, and and while I'm kind of talking about that, the other change in the CFP this week, not unexpected, even even before that, just that awful injury. Um, Washington was put ahead of Florida State. So nothing too shocking there. I think they were kind of waiting to see if Washington could beat Oregon State. So with with the the tragic injury to Jordan Travis set aside, I think that was going to happen regardless. Um, so now, right now, with the, the the five undefeated teams, Florida State is in the five spot, and of course, oh, we're going to have only four undefeated. Well, up to four undefeated teams next week, unless we get total chaos. And I'm always a fan of total chaos, um, and we'll see how that moves from there. Although I'm not, I don't have a whole lot of I don't have a whole lot of faith of whoever wins. Ohio State, Michigan is going to have much of a challenge out of Iowa, but the idea of Iowa somehow going in there and 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 ending the season with this like seven to three mega upset loss in Indianapolis does kind of sound sort of fitting. That would be kind of a nice bow on that at the end of that season. It's high, it's highly plausible seeing how us Wolverines and how the Buckeyes have played recently. It's highly plausible. I mean, this whole season, I was had a very good defense. So the chaos meter, I mean, right now with the way things are, it's almost it's getting close to 2007. But it's it's not there. But seeing how everything is, it could very well go that way. I did. Yeah, want to I gotta ask you. I I want to ask you specifically. What do you think is going on right now with JJ McCarthy? Do you think it's anything we should worry about, or do you think he'll step up on Saturday? Because I think. It was kind of interesting. I was I was just talking about this um, on uh, on the other show I do with Shehan J. Rajan. We were talking about like I, I feel like he's almost played him his way out of the Heisman consideration in the last few weeks. The first one with Penn State, we're like, okay, you know, Moore just wanted to run it thirty four times in a row because it was working. I get that, but then with Maryland, I felt like that that game didn't go great for him, and that that affected perhaps some opinions on on well, I, or maybe it's because Harbaugh isn't coaching. I'm not sure, but certainly. That gives him a booster, it seems, in games. And I don't know if that's just because there's a push to, to give him more plays when Harbaugh's on the sideline. What do you think? Honestly, I would say, Penn, like you said, Penn State, how highly expected. Like, that's a, that's a very disgusting defense they have. They, most of the time, they only need to rush forward to get pressure on the quarterback. So that was kind of expected. But with Maryland, 
I think everybody felt like, hey, Maryland has a very good offense. We expect Michigan to win, but we expected, if anything, to really be like a, a 40-plus point shootout on both sides because Maryland's offense is very good as well. And then it just became this low-scoring affair for both teams, and it was just – it just didn't make sense. And then I'd have to go back and look, but I think he only attempted like 12 passes. So I don't know what's going on with J.J. I mean, our run game has always been good, so it's good to rely on it, but I don't know what's happening with J.J. McCarthy. I, I didn't truly think he, he was a deserving Heisman candidate just from looking at the play of other quarterbacks – especially in the Pac-12. But it's one of those things like, oh, yeah, he has a very good case to be a Heisman candidate. But now since Harbaugh is not on the sideline, it seems like everything's just going downhill. But it's like when you look at the beginning of the season when he wasn't there, it was like everything seemed to be functioning how you would expect it to function. So I don't know what's going on. It's, it's one of those things that's like just sort of just came out of nowhere. Yeah, and hopefully we'll see if it, if it improves also because Roman Wilson got knocked out a little early in that game, and I think he will be back. For Ohio State, so that'll give him one of his better weapons to throw to. You know, and Maryland, you know, they have their own problems too. I mean, the Michigan defense is obviously excellent, but uh, Tonga Vailoa kind of also added 11 points to the Michigan side through some of his own errors uh, for the Terps. So, yeah, it was an interesting one. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Blake Corum, though, against that Ohio State defense and and Trayvon Henderson against the, the Michigan State Probably the Michigan State, goodness, Michigan front seven, because that's the other big thing, too. I think Trayvon Henderson, in my mind, is going to be the player who, especially for Ohio State, I want to see how he does. Because if he can get in a groove, if he can start getting that running game going, and because he's looked tremendous in the last several games, then that might that might open it up and give Kyle McCord an opportunity to take advantage of Marvin Harrison Jr. and company and, and Nick Buka and all that stuff. I mean, I'm really looking forward to this game. It's I mean, the hype is there. It's definitely got its off-the-field stuff. But just in terms of, of talent against talent, um, I, one thing that's kind of in the back of my head, though, and I, I don't know if it'll be fair, if not, because, I mean, I'm wondering, like, if, let's say, Ohio State wins, I mean, there's going to be, it's kind of a weird situation because I, I don't want, I think regardless of the, the Connor Stallion stuff, this, th- that should be set aside a bit. I think whoever wins, I mean, just focus on the game itself because at this point, you know, they, they've they figured each other out a little bit. I'm not really worried about that. But I wonder how much if, let's say, Michigan falls to, to, to Ohio State, how much is it going to also fall on Sean Moore versus, like, Harbaugh? Like, you know, he's the one who's been coaching this game. He coached the last two games. So I'm wondering, uh, that's just been in the back of my head. I know it hasn't really talked about, but I wonder if, if some of it will be like, oh, well, it, it wasn't Harbaugh on the sideline. It was Moore. Honestly, I think you're right with Sean Moore. Thing. He, he's, if they lose to Ohio State, Having been at a Michigan Ohio State game in person twice, it's he's going to get scapegoated. If they lose, they're going to look for someone to blame, and it's, it's going to be him. And I feel bad about it because honestly, Ohio State has an X factor in Marvin Harrison Jr., where it's just sort of like, you know, where it's like you try to slow him down, you don't try to stop him, just because he's just one of those talents. He's easily the best receiver I've seen come through Ohio State. And I've been watching Ohio State since, like, the Troy Smith days. So I've seen a lot of guys come through there. He does stuff that's unimaginable. So Sharon Moore, if, if he loses, which is highly plausible because he's a two good teams, it's, it's going to fall on him. But my one thing about the game coming up this week is that just seeing how they've been voting, my worry with the 2007 meter getting very close is that if this game goes to overtime, regardless of who wins – what happens with voting? 
because it's, it's highly possible that if this game goes to overtime, they could leave a undefeated team out of out of the playoff for two Big Ten teams. Oh wait, I don't know. If I think whoever wins this game, assuming again, assuming they get past Iowa, and, and I respect you, Hawkeyes, but the uh, I think they they'd be a shoe in at this point. The, the whoever comes out of the Big Ten, especially undefeated, is absolutely in. I think I mean because it's kind of an interesting question right now, and. You know, because we're going to end up a maximum of four undefeated teams because we'd end up with whoever wins. I mean, we would, would end up having to be Washington, Georgia, whoever wins from uh, Michigan, Ohio State, and Florida State, if everyone wins out. And I think those four teams would end up being it, which it, it I think Texas is in the most awkward situation. It's kind of funny because each week there's kind of a conversation which team's in the most awkward situation right now. And setting aside the uh, the Jordan Travis injury, I always felt the ACC was kind of in the weakest spot because L- probably Florida State's wins, the entire ACC just hasn't looked great. Um, that LSU win is, is still their best on the resume. Louisville at least is going now to the ACC championship game. They only have one loss, and theoretically, if see how they do against Kentucky, but they could also get there. And, and technically, Louisville, we, they're, uh, they're still a, a, the, the ultra-dark horse chaos candidate that could somehow back into the playoff if like a lot of people lose. But um, I think Florida State had one of the more awkward situations because if they go through and they beat, you know, Louisville ain't that great. But let's say it's the reverse. Let's say Louisville beats that Louisville wins out and beats Florida State. They're also in the awkward situation where people are going to be like, well, they didn't have Jordan Travis. So I, I kind of came to this conclusion that in the ACC, those two teams desperately need each other to look as great as possible to boost whoever wins that ACC title game to however, however far they can make it. But I think really only Florida State could and I know there's a lot of debate there, by the way, about like Jordan Travis is injured. Do you keep ranking him high? It's an interesting question because I don't know. Like if I were to go like on a neutral field right now, I would certainly I, in my mind, suddenly Oregon and Alabama and, and possibly Texas might be able. I, I might bet on them if I were a betting man on, on those teams. But at the same time, if they go undefeated, I feel really weird about the idea of not letting them in. So I just wanted to kind of that. That's one of those thoughts that's been in my head this whole this whole time. But um Going back to the game, you know, speaking of, you know, we're talking about Sharon Moore being a fall guy. I have to say, though, I mean, Chris, meanwhile, Chris Partridge, he's for now, although if the reports are true, what he did was really dumb. You don't tell, you shouldn't be telling players what to tell investigators. You shouldn't be delete. I think that was less of what got him in trouble. If the report is true that he deleted something on a computer in the middle of an investigation, yeah, no, I'm an I'm an attorney by background. Like that is a really bad thing to do in any investigation. If there's an investigation, just hands off the hands off the computers. Ask a lawyer what you should do. Just do that. I don't care if it's whatever industry you're in. If that starts happening, like consult with an attorney. Just trust me. It'll if you plan to stay at the company, do that. But um, looking at also what's going on there, I'm now wondering like what's going to happen this Friday. Like, are we going to have another surprise? That that's the other kind of wackiness to this game is that every day that passes, I mean, Thanksgiving, they'll probably take a break. I don't think we'll see any bloodletting. But, like, will we see some kind of crazy news drop that's going to also give the game just another extra unexpected flavor? Because it's it's entered that zone where really any wacky story at this point is almost plausible. You know, are they going to... But at the same time, you know, as we know, Michigan and uh, uh, the, the Big Ten seem to have reached a detente that... They'll kind of Michigan will accept the penalty punishment and uh, Big Ten won't investigate anymore and they'll defer to the the NCAA, which is kind of what 
we got a sense of what the University of Michigan wanted out of this because the NCAA moves fairly slowly. It'll let them go through the end of the season. If they're going to win out, they'll have an opportunity to win out. Um, and if, you know, whatever reason they get punished for this season, a lot of times it doesn't matter. It's actually kind of a, as time has passed, we've looked at prior scandals at various universities. It doesn't really anger the most important people, which are the boosters uh, to some extent and the fans to some extent. So that's one of those things um, to consider as well. One last thing. I want to put a positive thing because this is something Blake Corum did before and he did it again. He used his NIL money to buy 600 turkeys to deliver to Usplany, which is right by Ann Arbor. It's a little more uh, economically kind of uh, struggling area. So I thought that was really it's, good. It's, I it's, all, it's, almost, it's, almost a, it's almost the same city, to be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah. I always it joke, is, like, Eastern Michigan is like, like right there. Yeah, Eastern Michigan's right there. And, and now they've been doing okay in the last couple of years, but they've historically been awful. And it almost felt like Michigan was like – the 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 mountain and the rain shadow is eastern Michigan, which was like doing the opposite version of what Michigan was doing on the field. Um, but they're a little bit better now. Ryerson Stadium is, is kind of funky with that that grayness. But you know, I see someone else wants to join in. So Sean, I'm gonna let you up as well. Um hey Sean, what's going on? What's on your mind? Can you hear me? Sure okay. can. Uh, so at the beginning of the season, uh, or before the season started, I was on here asked a question about uh, what you guys thought about WVU, um, how their season was going to go. Um, and y'all had said that you thought Neil Brown would probably be gone by within the first three to four games. So more or less, I'm just asking, are, uh, are y'all surprised by WVU's uh, season so far? Um, what what your thoughts is on it, and also, do you think Neil Brown has done enough to save his job? That's a great question, and I he was by far, I thought, the most likely candidate not to make it through the season. And I thought, you know, especially the way the schedule shaped up, and that that opening loss to Pitt was kind of, I don't want to say a foregone conclusion, but that didn't shock anybody. So that wasn't going to be the game to do it. Winning against Duquesne, you know, the FCS team, which has a stadium we actually were just talking about on our CFB as the smallest stadium in Division One as FCS, 2,200 people. But they defeated Duquesne. They defeated Pitt. That was a big game. I think that Pitt and Texas Tech, though that pair of games in games three and four were the ones that started to make people realize, like, okay, I think there's something going on here. Because especially um, Texas Tech going into the season, there was a lot more, I think, upside for them. People were expecting more, and they kind of started to fall flat. And seeing the way they made it through. And then that the Houston game, again, that was just crazy. That that ending was nuts uh, for those who missed it. That that was a series of, of final plays in a row where um, West Virginia came to take that lead. And then just it spectacularly, Houston came back. But overall, I think, yeah, he, he has, I think he's earned his job back. I mean, the Houston game will set that aside. But losing to Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, not a bad look as the season's worn on. I'm curious to see, again, I think he should be able, I think the Mountaineers should be able to handle Baylor, but he's certainly bought himself at least one more year. I think if there's a complete collapse next year, I don't know how the, uh, I don't know how the administration would feel about that, but certainly I think so far this year. Ski Master Murphy, I see your hand up, and I see you out there, John. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I don't think the expectations are really too high for West Virginia coming in this year, but Neil Brown, he, 
he he won games that no one really expected, especially coming in, starting off, you know, winning the backyard brawl early in the season. Is that what it's still called? The backyard brawl with Pitt? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah. And so that that was I no one expected him to really win that one. And then taking out Texas Tech and TCU back to back was a very good look for him. Then the Houston game, as you said, went crazy. And then it's sort of like you know, he had the schedule. Basically, everyone expected him to be competitive against the new teams to the Big 12, in which he did execute on that and win those. But then one of those extra few games, he definitely deserves to keep his job and sort of retake it back to the heights that they had with uh, Pat White, Steve Slayton, and uh, Pat McAfee. He's going to have the opportunity. You know, before I take it to John, Sean, I want to just quickly go back to you. What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, I'm kind of shocked a little bit, uh, not a whole lot. Um, I was more confident, uh, in Garrett Green more than anything, because if you look back throughout the years of history with WVU, we've always been more, um, I guess we've had more winning teams with, um, quarterbacks who are mobile. Um, last year with JT Daniels, he wasn't mobile. Jarrett Daigie wasn't really mobile the year before that. So, you know, having a mobile quarterback, I thought that we would be better. Um, Our defense, I think, has been our weak point at most of the time. Our offense has finally found the the thing, but our secondary is terrible. Um, As far as Neil Brown goes, I think he can kind of be too loyal, I guess, um, to his coaches and players. Um, like he continued um, examples, Jaheim White. I mean, the kid's a freshman and he's just broke, you know, crazy. I mean, just put up crazy numbers this last game and he continues to do it. He was, he's been averaging more per carry than CJ Donaldson, but yet he still continues to play CJ, um, over him more. Um, the reason he didn't this last game was CJ had a little bit of an injury, but I just think he's too loyal um, I, I do like Neil Brown. I want him to succeed, but I think he's going to have to make some changes to get over the hump on defense. I like Jordan Leslie, but I'm just not so sure he's the guy. And then at points with their offensive line, we shouldn't struggle as much as we are. So maybe a, a change in Matt Moore. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm surprised, but I also feel like we got to win them must games like Houston and stuff like that. Yeah, and especially if they can win at Baylor, which, again, seems quite doable this season because Dave Aranda is one of those coaches where I'm not really sure his future at the end of this season. I, they may keep him at Baylor. I, I, we'll see. I don't know if he's even gotten the dreaded vote of confidence yet. And then, you know, that would be 8-4. and four, And then the opportunity, obviously, you go to a bowl and get that ninth win. I think it would certainly be a turnaround. So I think I, I, there's few coaches that have managed to come off the hot seat as successfully as he has this season. He's definitely one of the leading ones. I think when everyone does the retrospectives on the season, he's going to be one of the, if not the surprise candidate. I mean, there might be some more. I mean, Jerry Kill just simply getting <laughs> where he is at New Mexico State. He was never on the hot seat. They were thrilled last year that he even won seven. To, he went seven and six. That's a triumph at New Mexico State. But right now, I mean, what he's doing there is like every every season, if they keep going, is just absolute wackiness. But Neil Brown certainly is is in that group. And, and I mean, I don't want to take any... I think that Houston game kind of took them out of, like, the, the Cinderella story. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, what they're doing is it, setting that game aside. 
you know, their losses are to Penn State, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma. Those are not, those are the teams that, okay, yeah, you'd like to beat them. You'd like to, to get past them. But if we're just trying to see West Virginia kind of get themselves their footing again, they're, as you said, they're being the bad teams they're supposed to beat. They wiped out the, um, the other three newcomers. So, yeah, it's interesting. I can't wait to see what we see from the Mountaineers um, kind of coming in the end of the season and heading into next. I want to go ahead and bring in John, um, who's been super patient. Again, if you want to join the conversation, we always like hearing from you. You know, by the way, one of these quotes is Jim Harbaugh quotes. I don't know if you guys uh, heard this, but he's talking the the I love my locker rooms. I like my locker rooms like my mom's bathing suits in one piece. (laughs) You know, literally a line from Ted Lasso. But of course, you know, some people were arguing was like, is he? Is Ted Lasso based on him? Is he based on Ted? Has he kind of changed himself to be like Ted Lasso? Okay, this is this is kind of a far afield thing, but I've run into this before because years ago when I was an undergraduate, I arranged, this is going to sound so weird, but it's true. I arranged for Larry Flint to come and talk on my college campus. Like the guy. Who, what? Yeah, okay, yeah. No, no, really. The guy who created Penthouse, the guy, because I love the movie The People versus Larry Flint. And I, I've always been interested in kind of, I'm a lawyer, so I always like legal stuff. So as an undergrad, I lived in L.A. I went to USC. So we invited him and he said yes. And I'm like, oh, OK. So he shows up. He's got that gold wheelchair that he was famous for. And then somebody asked him about the movie. And he's like, you know, honestly, he was, it was really because he's he was also I knew he was a very straightforward interviewer, like interviewee. I should say, like, if you asked him a question, he was going to tell you what he thought. And he was always kind of interesting and cantankerous, but not like too overly rude. And he's like. Yeah, honestly, as time has passed on, I can't remember what my real life is and what was in that movie with Woody Harrelson, the one with Woody Harrelson, which is an excellent movie, by the way, with Ed Norton, just just tremendous film. But he's like, yeah, honestly, I've stopped being able to tell where my life ends and the movie begins. And I'm wondering if, like, for Ted Lasso, is that like Harbaugh? Is he kind of like going into that zone where it's like, you know, where's where, who's him and what's <laughs> what's what's the show? I don't know, but uh, you know, I'm gonna just I'm, transition over to John. What's I'm up? I never thought the name. <laughs> football talk this is insane <laughs> yeah who thought he was gonna pop into this john what's on your mind man hey ben how you doing good I, i'm not sure how I, I can even follow that up but uh i will try my best between that and the uh guy who uh asked about uh what you know political event can fund uh the firing of his coach in north carolina i'm not I, i'm not sure i can think of a better question ever on on the space than that but uh so I just uh, had a quick question. Now, now, now that we're at, yeah, at the end of the season, who do you think, in your opinion, is, has been the most disappointing team this season? Oh, gosh, this is a painful one to admit. But USC, objectively, I can say USC. Because that, that was, I mean, for those who don't know, that's my undergraduate. But I've, I've, distanced, I've been out long enough to not really feel that much of a, a homer pick. But, I mean, you have Caleb Williams. You have... You know the momentum coming into this season, but we saw the signs. I mean, the 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 first Utah game last season was truly just an an excellent game. I mean, Utah went for it on two and got the win. That was that was what that game came down to. And then the Pac-12 championship game, Caleb Williams got a little dinged up, and then he couldn't produce at the level he normally did. And Utah absolutely was able to take over that game. And then we saw the Cotton Bowl. Where we're like, okay, what happened here? The USC defense let him down again. Maybe we'll see a change. And they didn't change. We had Alex Grinch again. The defense somehow managed to get worse despite some transfer portal picks. And it just seems like this season has fallen apart. And I, 
I've been reading some of the analysis on it. I don't read too much about it because, frankly, the more USC becomes irrelevant, the less I, I particularly care. And I, I'm not saying that like I don't want to know, but I mean, it's like they once they fell out of the playoff contention, I mean, USC is just another Pac-12 team, and I'd rather focus on you know, Oregon, Washington, and, and, you know, earlier this season, Oregon State and, and Utah. But, um, yeah, going 7-5 and five right now and heading into a situation where it's, I mean, I, it was funny, too. Are, like, are they going to end up in the Sun Bowl at this point? I mean, they finished the regular season. Um, and is he going to end up like that year Lane Kiffin went to the Sun Bowl? And is he going to wear the sombrero of shame when they do the, uh, the photo ops? You know, before the, the sun, <laughs> you always you always see them kind of doing that. So that that's my pick. But, John, I'd love to hear yours. And Ski Mask Murphy, I see your hand up. Yeah, well, I'm kind of curious to the percentage odds you think that uh, USC-Oklahoma happens in bowl season at this point. So it feels like it's inevitable. Like, no matter what the record is, it, feel, it feels like someone's going to set it up. Oh, I think USC's played its way out of that. I yeah. think they've actually they, – they're going to be facing some, like, fourth-rate ACC team. We'll probably see, like, USC-Duke or something, and it'll just be this this miserable game. And El Paso is a nice city, but, I mean, it's going to be a miserable game wherever they end up. I don't know yeah. where it's going to be. Uh, yeah, it could be yeah. the Vegas Bowl. It could be anywhere. I haven't paid too close attention yeah. to where they're projected. I, but, I, uh, I, if, I, I knew you asked for my team real quick. Um I guess a little bit more off the wall, but uh, I really thought Cincinnati was really disappointing this year. You know, a couple yeah. years ago, that was the, one of the hottest teams on the G5, transition to the Big 12, really trying to make a big splash and just completely fell flat. I mean, just a really disappointing year overall. I think they're 3-8 and eight right now. And, I, you know, they just have you know, fallen flat multiple – I mean, and, you know, they lost – and a lot of bad losses. So I just – I personally, just outside the Power 5, I think – well, not outside the Power 5, but – if you're a non-USC pick, uh, I think Cincinnati's my my one for me. Yeah, Scott Satterfield, you know, stepping in, obviously, after they lost their head coach to Wisconsin. I didn't expect this. I, I thought they'd do a little bit better. And, and, yeah, this has been a pretty brutal first season for them. And we'll see what they do to, to try and transition. But I didn't expect them to have the roughest time. And and all four of the new teams have had a rough time. But they they by far have been the, the worst of the four teams this season. That joined the Big Twelve. Ski Master Murphy, I see. Go ahead, and uh, we'll let up Ben uh, right after that. Well, my two cents on the disappointing team teams this year. I would I would say Cincinnati was a little bit expected. Like looking at everything they lost with, you lose Luke Fickle as your head coach and as a great recruiter, he's gone. Then like going from you know that playoff season, they've lost Desmond Ritter, Alan Pierce, Colby White, and Sauce Gardner, and like. When you see how they perform in the NFL, you sort of, like, see why they were able to get to where they were. But it's like, you're losing guys like that, and then the coach who brings in guys like that sort of expected to go down. But, yeah, didn't expect them to be this bad. I would say my two teams I picked for disappointing seasons this year, unfortunately, Bob, I'm, I have to put USC in there. I expected them to get the defense together this year, but they just haven't. And it's and it's one of those things where it's like I, I went through and ran the analysis on, like, every defense since um, Lincoln Riley got hired as head coach at Oklahoma, he just doesn't put together well-performing defenses. They're, they're just, like, extremely bad versus other coaches of his caliber. And then the other team I'm throwing there would be Miami. I expected them to sort of be in competition for playing in the ACC championship this year. And then it sort of seems like that, uh, that mishandling of the end of the game against Georgia Tech, once that happened, everything just went out the window for them. 
I definitely agree. That was kind of a weird turning point for them. But, uh, you know, they've, they've stayed fairly competitive. I'm going to give them a little bit of an edge only because they they were able to make Florida State and Louisville in back-to-back weeks kind of struggle to to get those wins. They didn't just – they didn't totally roll over. So we'll see. I'm curious to see if next year they can kind of tighten that up and, and, and see some benefit. You know, Sean, I'll let you – I saw your hand up, and then I'm going to let up Ben. I kind of think, uh, too, that – uh, even Penn State, even though they have a winning record, um, even as WVU was getting ready to play them, I was reading so much into them, and there was so much hype from around all of college football, every site, every ESPN, all of them, about they would probably be in the Final Four. And they they just had all this hype around them, and then they just never win the games they shouldn't, like Ohio State, Michigan. And I just feel like, at some point, James Franklin, I don't know, I guess he's got to be held ca- accountable for not being able to win these big games like that. Yeah, I think that's a that's actually a great pick. That isn't necessarily a team that's lost a bunch of games, but they are absolutely disappointed with where they are. I don't know what I would necessarily circle as the main reason, although I'm kind of leaning towards Drew Aller not quite panning out this season so far to what they were hoping for, particularly after all the the, the hype and, and even last year they were saying like maybe he should he should get the edge. But um and I think he still has potential, but as a five star quarterback, it has not quite worked out and they don't necessarily have the weapons to 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 make up for it, although the defense again remains tremendous. But yeah, that that's one of those ongoing questions and, and it as we head into the offseason, Penn State is is good, but not to that level where they want to be. And, and to an extent, James Franklin kind of put that out there when he said we're not elite. Um, but uh, uh, one of those things that they also kind of, you know, I do think they're going to benefit from the 12-team playoff system, most certainly. But, uh, yeah. So, hey, I see Ben. I've let you up. Thank I'd you. love to hear from you. Uh, speaking of the Miami Hurricanes, um, I was wondering if you had any bowl projections for them if they win uh, this Friday against uh, Boston College. And, um what do you think uh, next season uh, has for them, especially with um, SMU, Cal, and uh, I believe it's Stanford who's joining the ACC next year? Well, I think next, I mean, overall next year, I have a lot, I, I'm a little more optimistic about how, we're, how, because again, seeing the growth between the previous year and this year, and we were kind of just talking about that because that, that Georgia Tech loss was just a pure coaching error. And you know, there's no way to to sum up. There's no way to sugarcoat that. But um, I think overall, I, I'm I'm seeing signs that Miami is at least getting to a place where they're they're able to be competitive and and, and in the ACC do fairly well. Now, where are they going to go bowling? That's a great question, especially if they went out. Um, I I could see some of the bowls like the Fenway Bowl. I know that's an ACC game, which would be really awful. Can you imagine Miami being sent up to Boston to play on December 28th? I, I mean, the way, now that the more I say that out loud, I mean, the more I'm kind of like shot. <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. Somebody. Okay, cool. Yeah. I think I've got something on this too. I just never use it. But yeah, um, I've seen the military bowl as well, which would be a little, which is also in Annapolis. So I don't know. Wherever they're going to be, they're going to be cold. That, that that's that those seem to be the projections I've seen, but um, you never know. I mean, I think part of, I mean, frankly, when we get into it, a lot of the, uh, the, the things that get into some of the mid-level bulls is where teams are and how well they travel. Miami, I, 
I've never historically known them as a traveling team and a fan base. I mean, they're kind of reminding me of UCLA in some ways, especially when when uh, Miami isn't necessarily like firing on all cylinders. Um, even though per- personally, I, I think of overall, I compare them more to USC. They're like the East Coast USC, the team that's in the private school in the in the the flashy town that is you know people love to hate it. Um, but, uh, but when they do good, they do really good. You know, I mean, cause the USC fan, I always thought like, I would love USC and Miami to play at home and home, you know, be annual rivals. Cause they seem just perfectly matched in attitude. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, this is, this is that, that hurts them a little bit when you're getting with the, the middle bowls. Cause the middle bowls are, are much more about like the bowl committee really wants to pack the game. Cause they're trying to promote the local, it's, it's going bowl games back to what they originally were. People always forget that. Like, Bulls didn't count for the national championship until the 1960s. So that's why you'll see teams that'll have won a national championship and got blown out their bowl game because they were purely exhibition games. So the coaches didn't even take them that seriously. The the teams weren't playing, getting ready to go play and try and earn a a championship or earn whatever. So they were promotional tools to like, hey, come down to, you know, New Orleans. It's a sugar bowl. I mean, mean, the first bowl, the granddaddy of them all is the Rose Bowl. Hey, look. There's roses growing in Pasadena in January. Why are you living in the Midwest? Come move out here. I mean, that, that that's the reason why you bring Michigan to come uh, play out in uh, and, and of course the Orange Bowl in, in you know Miami. Come down and see oranges. It's January. So when you're talking about the mid-range bowls, they're still kind of thinking that way. They're like, all right, how do we get more people into this game? How do we get that? Especially if they're not like the uh, kind of quiet, I don't want to say fake bowls, but the bowls that, you know, ESPN created just to kind of add TV games. Um, a lot of those are some of the newer ones for the Sun for the Sun Belt and some of the other small ones. But um, uh, Ski Mask Murphy, I see your hand up. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I was going to say with the mid-level bowls, I was going to say this might age me a little bit. But back in college, when I, in 2010, I remember I wrote a paper for my – English course at the behest of football guys who were on the football team said someone should do a paper like analyzing bowl games because we'd always talk about it in class. And one thing I, I found with like these small bowls, they always try to make sure, I would say probably about 80% of the bowl games, try to make sure at least one team does not have to drive more than three hours to be at that bowl. And then the other team will more than likely be for somewhere else. But most of the bowl games, they try to make sure the teams competing are extremely close to try to pack it out. Yeah, unless you're the Boise State, Boise's Potato Bowl, in which case it's like, just please make it. If you can make it, that's great. <laughs> we, we'd love to have you by our blue turf in the middle of J- December. Um, hey, well, but, I will, you know, you I, will see- I, oh, I was going to say, I will say the Idaho Potato Bowl and the Hawaii Bowl, those are the two bowl games that are basically – one of the teams basically the quote what you call quote unquote the home team was the Hawaii Bowl half the time was Hawaii's playing. The Idaho Potato Bowl. This is back when the Vandals were still FBS. So it'd either be Boise State or the Idaho Vandals playing if they both qualified. They just or what's the other one? Washington State. It'd be you one know, it of kinda those. gets it, it kind of gets back to the whole reason they had the Arizona Bowl, which was um which I remember when they created it, and I think it's still technically the Barstool uh, Sports Arizona Bowl, was there was a year, and it's come up, and now Texas State, even though they, they kind of got absolutely wrecked by uh, Arkansas. I don't know if people notice this. Arkansas State, they got blown out by Oklahoma to open the season. It was like 77-3, to 77-0, something like that. And they just blew out 
Texas State 70-something to 20-something. So, you know, Butch Jones, I mean, okay, cool. You know, you're not as off. I thought he was a dead man walking after the first couple of games. But, no, there he is. He just he just blew out Texas State. But Texas State, the last time they were bowl eligible, they didn't get into a bowl because no one wanted them because they were so far away from the Sun Belt's tie-in. So the Sun Belt helped create the Arizona Bowl so that New Mexico State at the time, which was still in the Sun Belt, and uh, Texas State would have an opportunity to go uh, to a bowl that was relatively nearby that would accept them. Um, and Texas State never got bowl eligible again uh, until this year. So uh, that was kind of that kind of goes to that sort of you know distance issue, and that's why you know we saw the Camellia Bowl. I forget what it even goes by now. You know, obviously the Bahamas Bowl is now in Charlotte. It's like the famous Toastery Bowl, which is I guess a chain um, somewhere out there. But uh, yeah, so I mean. <laughs> Absolutely. There's so many bowls out there. It's kind of funny to see how they are. I, I, and again, if you want to go about I love bowl history, the Liberty Bowl, of course, started um, on the East Coast and for a while was in Atlantic City in an indoor venue. And if you ever get a chance, look up the uh, images of what the Liberty Bowl looked like when it was played. I forgot the name of it. It was like a municipal like hall. And it literally looks like a giant ballroom has been set up for a football game. It's absolutely awesome. It's one of my favorite kind of quirky historic photos. So look up those old uh, Liberty Bowl uh, photos when it was in Atlantic City. Um, so, yeah, I see. Oh, I see Nate wants to come up too. our, uh, our friend who is a big Georgia SEC guy. Love to hear his thoughts. Um, you know, by the way, one other kind of light sort of thing on a high one of these breweries out in Ohio couldn't resist this. So they're releasing a special edition beer called Stealing Signs Beer. I think that's about what you'd expect from a local brewery, um, the kind of antics that, that we like to see in these kinds of, of rivalry games. Um, and by the way, Jim Mora, UConn's Jim Mora. I don't know, like, I don't know what he was thinking when he made this quote. Uh, fans are not entitled to, um, well, to whine, but he was the B word, um, if they don't help with NIL. That is that is a bold move, Jim Mora. You you literally it's UConn, and you're attacking your fans for not helping with your NIL. Um, blaming the alumni and fans not always the best route um, to uh, to win folks over, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, as UConn's kind of had a pretty struggling season, but Nate, it's good to see you again. What's on your mind? Oh, um, Nate, if you can, just go ahead and unmute. Otherwise, um, I'll just wait and say, hey, uh, Waterboy, are you able to unmute? Hey, how's it going tonight? Hey, what's up? Oh, a couple things. You know, this is the uh, kind of the last weekend of, of, of college football as we have understood it. Next season, you know, the last full weekend, I should say, because next season you have – all the conference uh, realignment, uh, you know, UCLA and USC are going to be in the Big Ten, uh, Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC, and and also we're going to have the twelve team playoff next year. So this is kind of like, this is sort of like the last full weekend of college football how we we we've known it for a long time. That's kind of the first there. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to the the playoff. I mean, there's there's all these back and forth. I think this season is shaping up to be the the best way to to kind of transition from the 14 playoff to the 12 team, because there is a strong chance here. We're going to have a really good candidate you know, left out well, of this particular, it, uh, this particular lineup and, and more so than we have in any other previous and, year. Yeah. And there's some great teams out there. I mean, like 
I, again, I, I don't think Liberty would have been able to make it in, in this season just because for whatever reason, and it's not entirely their fault because their non-conference scheduling is tough because it's hard for them to, to schedule them. But, I mean, they would be a, a, one of those games out there. Tulane would be one of those teams that potentially would get in. In addition to, you know, I mean, it's, it's fun. Some folks have been trying to cut up the, you know, the, the current rankings. To the, I mean, let's see, the 12-team playoff right now, if it happened at, with the exact you know, layout we have right now, would be Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Washington, Florida State, Oregon, Texas, Alabama, Louisville, Penn State, and Tulane. That would be a, a hell of a lineup. That would be there's some exciting games in there, um, and, and it would be real fun to see. And it's interesting too because I think basically all of those teams, I can't say real bad one in there. I mean, Penn State might be the one where I'd be like, well, which of the other two teams? But I mean, no matter how many teams you add, you're going to have that edge case where you're kind of like, well, uh, I would have liked yeah. to seen Team B or Team Z, but. Um, well, this- this is the last year that we like that we can talk just with the four teams and have something of a scenario that we could discuss that could plausibly happen. What happens if Florida State, Ohio State, and Washington each like went out and you've got those three undefeated conference champions, but you have Alabama beat Georgia in the SEC title game, and then you have Texas also went out. Like, who are the four teams that go? Uh, because next year they'll all be in the playoff under that scenario. But this year, you know, two of those teams are not making it in. And could it be the two SEC teams? That's, that seems insane. But it, it, it's something that could happen. And a year from now, we're not worried about it because there'll be 12 teams in. But if that plays out, you know, there are going to be three good teams that are left out and one totally that, that, that shouldn't be. Yeah, I, I admit Fully, full disclosure, I am rooting for total chaos just because it would be a great way to motivate people for next season, um, especially some of the ones that have been the most reluctant for the expanded playoff. Because, I mean, so many of these teams are exciting that I, I'd love to see more of. And, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, and one of the other, by the way, two other minor things I wanted to add before I forget, because um, I love stadium news. That's always fun to hear. Northwestern has gotten the green light from their city council in Evanston, which is, of course, north of Chicago, to build that new Ryan Field because they're going to basically totally rebuild Ryan Field. Um, it was a 5-4 vote because there's a lot of nimbyism. It's a small school, private school. I mean, it's not a small school, but it's a private school. It's being built with private money. Ryan Field is aged, despite having one of the finest journalism schools in the world, it has one of the worst press boxes because the stadium is so old and, and, and needed a, a replacement. Uh, but they were able to kind of bypass that NIMBY issue um, and uh, not in my backyard for those who may not be familiar with urban politics. Um, and they were able to get the mayor to be that decisive vote. So good for them. And the other one is Memphis. Um, they seem to be one step closer to renovating the Liberty Bowl Uh FedEx founders Fred Smith, his family foundation, donated $50 million, which has pushed Memphis University to also raise $50 million on their side and, and I guess, advocate for the, the state uh, allotment of $120 million on top of that to do a, a very thorough renovation, needed, desperately needed renovation of a Liberty very Bowl. Needed. A lot of, very yeah, needed. Yeah, very needed. And... Uh, so, you know, that'll that'll be a big plus for them and for the Tigers. Uh, I think that'll be that'll be a good good step for them because FedEx has always been pushing that for for a lot of that. I mean, gosh, back in the last major, major round of um, conference expansion, 
uh, you know, a little over what, 12 years ago. I mean, Fred Smith was one of the people pushing Memphis to get out of the uh, to get into one of the P5 conferences, although it didn't quite work. But I mean, th there is a lot of willingness from that institution, from the FedEx family to be able to push them in there. And of course, some of the some of the uh, peanut gallery and RCFB would like them to build a really big pyramid to go with the uh, with the other one. Hey, I wanted to just really quickly uh Check with our our, our Georgia Nate friend, uh, Nate Dog. Have you been able to, to to fix audio on your side and unmute? I'm about to show you how we celebrate over here in Georgia. Y'all want to hear Tom out? Go Dogs! Go Dogs! This is how we do it every year. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Oh man, <laughs> thank you for that one, Nate. Oh my goodness, and and of course Tennessee. It was so funny, by the way, for those who who may not have seen this, and we we tweeted this one out earlier this week. But um, right before the game, my favorite comment in the the game thread, the game discussion thread for Tennessee Georgia was like, "Just watch, Tennessee's going to score on their opening drive, and then they're going to lose by thirty five. Well, they were wrong; they lost by like twenty something, but um, they still they still scored on that first drive, which is it's hilarious to watch. That I don't even know what exactly is going on there, but Georgia is peaking at a hell of a time. Um, so now I'm this SEC title game is is absolutely absolutely looking intriguing. But first things first, we got. Clean old-fashioned hate, and we got the Iron Bowl. I thought maybe the best way for Nick Saban to mess with Hugh Freeze is to have them practice, have them warm up in uh, New Mexico State jerseys just to really mess with the Auburn Tigers. I think that would you got to play mind games with them. Um, that would be something else. But let's see. Uh, Nate Adolfi, what's going on? Hey, how are we doing? Um, good. I'm, I came in a little late tonight, so I was curious. Has um, have your Trojans and UCLA and Caleb Williams and Chip Kelly been discussed yet tonight? Well, we had a discussion of who's the most disappointing team, and, <laughs> and at least two of us voted USC as as by far and beyond the number one, just for all those reasons and more. Um, Chip Kelly's interesting too, because I mean, you know, he's, he's been a little bit on the hot seat and, and they, they've argued that now he isn't, I, I'm not sure we'll see on that one, but what are your thoughts? On yeah, that? that's kind of, I was curious because, you know, literally last week it was, it was, it's Chip Kelly on the way out and, you know, you see the coaching carousel was starting to open up and if he, if he's going to go somewhere else, but you know, after that win against USC is, is are they going to stick with them and keep them now? And, um, so I was curious about that. And then. Um, I don't know if, th if there's been much discussion about this this topic as well, but um, you know, it, beforehand it was Caleb Williams was for sure going to leave and go to the draft, but is he going to stick around um, another year after kind of you know the season ended very you know how none of them wanted it to end? You know, I I wouldn't be sh I would hope he goes to the to the NFL only because. You know, yeah, USC hasn't been doing great, but uh, arguably he's still been able to put up some decent numbers in most of his games. I mean, the problem is the whole team is basically relying on him, <laughs> on his, his ability. And when the rest of the team hasn't been that great and has been disappointing, it, it's not hard for the other schools to plan their entire defense around Caleb Williams. And it's it's been brutal to watch because, you know, you see him trying, but it's not enough. And it's got to be frustrating that... that uh, I, I hope he goes to the NFL and gets what he's earned there because, you know, USC's got its own problems, but 
there's a certain point where they shouldn't be his anymore. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure he's gonna get a very clear. I mean, because let like says like Caleb Williams, we've seen years where te- quarterbacks on teams that have been mediocre suddenly, you know, when they see them line up in, in the combine, when they see their pro day, and you know, next thing you know, that that the, somebody who may not expect is in that top, you know, ten pick. Anthony so, Richardson, I'm Patrick sure, Mahomes. Exactly. So his talent level is going to speak for itself. And and I don't know how much what happened on the field, at least in terms of the wins and losses. Yeah, the wins and losses do matter. But at the same time, I mean, everyone saw this USC defense. So, I mean, there's only so much you can do. Um, I mean, you can almost say it was so funny. We're having a discussion on the, the this other show I do, the college football uh, uh, survival show about, you know, Jaden Will- Daniels, pardon me. I mean, you know, Tremendous. He's he reminds me of Caleb Williams last year, except he's his numbers are insane. Yeah. Um. And I I mean yeah he's on an LSU team that also can't really play defense, but uh, I mean I still can't get over these these stats. For those who missed it, I mean if you missed two weeks ago, six hundred and six total yards against Florida with you know three seventy five in the air with three touchdowns, two thirty four on the ground and two touchdowns. And then again, you know people were kind of distracted this past week, but he did another crazy feat against Georgia State. Granted. It was Georgia State, but again, 25 of 30 passes, 413 yards, six touchdowns, and 96 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. I mean, (laughs) it's like we're watching a guy playing NCAA football on, like, JV mode, Um, and then the rest of the team is kind of like, whatever, but um, I I, I think he's going to be in, he's definitely going to go to New York for the the, the ceremony. I, I think it'll probably go to Knicks or Penix, but you know, man, if we're looking at the the player that is single-handedly seemingly keeping their team in the game, Jaden Daniels absolutely reminds me of what, what made Caleb Williams an attractive uh, uh, candidate last year. Yeah, what's uh, LSU at right now? What's their uh, what's their record? It is eight and three, eight and three. right now. So the, not terrible. They're not. They're basically okay. They're not a playoff contender, but they're okay. And I mean, that's been kind of the Florida State really needs them. Uh, and I think to some extent, and there's some argument that the playoff committee will sort of push some teams higher in once they get past the, uh, the, the true candidates to sort of, you know, backfill and, and kind of legitimize their ranking. So this latest ranking, they moved them up one to number 14, uh, behind, um, nine and two Oklahoma. They're now the lead three loss team. They were last week, but they've <coughs> maintained that. So again, that that helps buttress not only the uh, the SEC, but especially it, it gives Florida State their their marquee win. Uh, John, I know you wanted to add something into this. Yeah, speaking of Caleb Williams, um, did you see Ian uh, Rappaport's tweet um, this uh, past couple of days regarding him? I did not. It was it was bizarre to say the least. I, I think a lot of people called him out for it. Essentially, it was, you know, comparing Joe Burrow and Caleb Williams and the uh, factor of leadership, you know, the fact that Joe got hurt and still went to the press conference versus Caleb, you know, declining a media interview. I'm just kind of curious, so, you know, if uh, what, it almost feels like a weird media slant this year of, you know, a criticism of Caleb Williams. I was kind of curious, I uh, just wonder if you just maybe feel the same way or maybe have noticed something in that regard. You know, it's interesting. Now, now that you remember, I, I didn't. I forgot. I've heard this conversation. I've heard the topic. I just haven't. I forgot who actually initially tweeted it. Yeah. No. I um, I think you got to do. You got to be better about doing, especially if you're going to go to the pros. I mean, it's just expected of you. Um, is it some 
where I'm worried about, not really, because this is sort of a young person sort of like, trust me, when they tell you, like, I mean, I'm not saying you have to go straight up, you know, <laughs> I'm here so I don't get fined or anything like that. But I uh, I think he'll uh, somebody will step up for that. But to me, that that does feel like kind of the youth factor going in there. And yeah, you can't really do that. But it's not like and, and is this the tone of the program? Because, I mean, that that sounds also very Lincoln Riley. Um, and so you're getting the tone set from the head coach there um and, and he has had his own troubles dealing with the media and especially the la media so i, I i'd see some of that by the way before i forget scheme Master murphy i wanted to thank you for dropping you found that photo i'm talking about it's in the replies in the in kind of the uh the conversation in the bottom right if you think that's that the liberty bowl in atlantic city which looks like a two-tier kibbe dome that's absolutely it with that glorious and, stage and, at one end and and a one-minute video song like that just shows you that you actually played on it and by the way, you know, not many people may know this, but that building has like at one point the largest pipe organ in the world. So, you know, I hope they played it during the game somehow. Like, you know, um, I don't know what you'd play, like the, the Dracula song, like something really like doesn't fit the game at all. Like have like the Venom of the Opera type of stuff going on in the background. I don't know. That's just me. But <laughs> John, I just saw you unmute. And then, yeah, uh, I Nate, I see your hand up. Yeah, and it, well, I guess you know the official with the Caleb Williams topic. I just, I think overall, I just thought it was really, it was a weird, it was a very weird jab by uh, Rappaport, and just it, it feels very weird to compare two guys. I understand like Caleb Williams, you know, he's not, you know, Heisman winner, you know, makes makes millions of nil, but comparing him, a college student, to a you know, an individual who makes you know over two hundred fifty million dollars in the contract, and talking about professionalism, just feels like a really, it's, it's just like a weird, you know, just a weird you know jab to make at someone. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, too, because the, the other flip side of that, too, is I also sympathize sometimes for, like, a random tweet idea, and the next thing you know, yeah, it turns into a whole bigger story. That's that's the other side of it, potentially, as well. But, yeah, I agree. It is is kind of a, 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 I'm not as overly concerned about that, only because with any player, it's like, well, you know, they're still, they'll, they'll figure it out when they get to the NFL. They'll have their 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 people, their staff, especially if they're, they're you know, some of these first-rounders. Uh, Nate, I see your hand up. Yeah, just kind of sticking on on USC, and um, you know, so I I feel like now at this point, and I'm not I'm not kind of person that's calling for you know his head, but what's people's thoughts, you know, in regards to to Lincoln Riley because you know he was at OU, and you know it was the story of good offense but not good defense, and he had some coordinator changes there, and you know it's the same story at USC now where he got rid of the coordinator, but it's not really made a difference. Um, so is you know, it's we're at the point where for a while it's a joke and it's a meme, but it's the reality where, like, he hasn't been able to put together many good defenses every time he's been a head coach. So, you know, what are people's yeah. thoughts of, like, going forward on that? You know, my initial thought there is uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens next, but only because it sounds like he's – it. Uh, the rumor mill is the USC is starting to make some effort to go after some of these other defensive coordinators. I heard Utah's was in play at one point, although it, I don't know if that's going to really go anywhere. So are they going to make a really strong play? Uh, I mean, now that Arnett's out at, at Mississippi State, some people have argued they USC should look at him um, because he was able to be a good defensive coordinator with Mike Leach's offense because that's, again, the, the difficulty of, of being a coordinator when you're facing uh, an air raid, uh, pardon me, kind of, well, closer to an air raid in uh in practice day after day and there's been some good articles about that but part of me also wonders it's like at what point 
does he eventually go like, you know, I'm getting tired of this nonsense and just go into the NFL? I mean, that's I'm not saying he's going to do that, but that's also believable. That keeps coming up as a believable enough alternative that I wonder if he just decides to nope out and just give a shot at the NFL and see if he likes it or not, and then maybe return to college if he if he, if he doesn't. But um, I'm curious to see what happens. I'm curious to see if Lincoln Riley really does want to kind of really revisit everything he's done. Um, I he's probably got an enormous payout. They can't, they don't have to publish it because USC is a private school, but among the private schools, it's probably them in Notre Dame for the highest kind of buyout situations there. Um, I know the estimates have been, it's been quite high. So USC could probably afford it. They have, I think outside of the Ivy league, them and Stanford have the most billionaires in their alumni base. So, I mean, there, there's folks in that alumni base who can afford to get them out of it if they needed to. But I mean, Certainly next year, it's going to be the. Pre- I mean, pressure's already high at USC, but next year it's not going to be high. This year the pressure was high, but they were thinking they were going to go in the playoffs and like, can they achieve this national championship dream? Now it's like going to be extreme pressure next season, except it's going to be the opposite end. It's like the. Uh, I feel like it's USC, <clears throat> especially post Pete Carroll returning to this this kind of crappy sort of like, oh wow, they're underachieving again. I mean, I still remember like Kiffin. I mean, they had that uh, season where. They couldn't go into the postseason because of the the NCAA's punishment over the Reggie Bush thing that had happened years earlier, um, and so you know they they finish up with that fifty to zero just blowout of UCLA. Everyone's like happy. They got really high in the final rankings. The you know Matt Barkley comes back the next season, and then they just flop. So it almost this season reminds me of that kind of a the extreme transition from a, a USC team that people are like, Oh wow, look, they're, they're back. They're going to be great. And then they kind of collapse the next season. So I don't know that, that this next season, I, I don't know if what it would take for Riley to really be in trouble. I don't think next season they would do that. I think they were going to give that him that full season. Then that would be the season afterwards. But I also, I mean, it's, I could see it, especially with how he handles media that that's kind of the thing. All of these weird kind of, clunky things that I, I don't know if he's going to adapt to it. Because, I mean, coming out of, he was fa- already famous at Oklahoma for some of the things he was doing to kind of, like, box out the media and the local media there. But, you know, it, they're more willing to play that game in in that market only because um, Oklahoma is the big thing. I mean, the Thunder are obviously another big thing, but Oklahoma Sooners football, I mean, it's huge. While at USC in Los Angeles, you got to compete in that media market, and they don't have the patience for it. And he found that out the hard way. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I think that's going to be one of those. They're going to be an absolute drama magnet next season, and not for the good reasons. I mean, they can get their way out of it, but am I optimistic of that? I don't think so. I think what we're looking at their hope is going to be like for a nine-win season, maybe a ten-win season, but. They're certainly not going to come in with this season's expectations and that sense of, of dramatic waste of having Caleb Williams and just no one else, it felt like, um, especially with that defense and that really, especially now, a seemingly ignorant decision to keep Alex Grinch and defend him to the point where they finally just simply could not anymore. But um, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I have some thoughts on that. <clears throat> But um, let's see here on, on a kind of a, a transition to one other thing. You know, meanwhile, former USC coach Steve Sarkeesian finally crossed a hump that I didn't realize he'd never done before. He had just never won 10 games in a regular season. I mean, he was obviously at Washington. He was at USC for a hot minute. Um, 
So that's a great success for him. And then to win in Iowa State, obviously there was a little bit of trash talk uh, before the game uh, from coming from Iowa State. And one of the things, though, that I thought was interesting, and, and I thought this wasn't a bad quote by Steve Sarkeesian, was basically talking about something that had come out before, where it's like we don't we have five-star talent but not a five-star culture at, at Texas. But now he's, he said basically like it feels like we have both again. And you know, to their credit, Texas is looking great. Honestly, though, in the playoff picture, I'm, I'm mold. They probably have kind of fallen into a situation where, of all the one win team, of all the one loss, pardon me, teams, they seem to have right now seemingly the toughest route to get into the playoff. And I'm not counting the loser of, of Ohio State, Michigan, because I don't think that team may necessarily have a way in unless things really go crazy. Um, and it's stupid in a lot of ways because the committee is going to be forced. Let's say, again, I, I'm just going to throw this out there. Let's say, Georgia loses to Alabama in the title game. You're going to get stuck with an Alabama team with one loss, but a win over Georgia. And it, I'm sure you guys have heard this ad nauseum from other teams. And Texas with a, with a one loss to an Oklahoma team in the rivalry game in a close loss, but also a win over Alabama at Alabama. And in that madness, I think Texas will probably get left out and Alabama will go ahead of them. And this kind of goes to my chaos view on this, where I think it'll be awesome because not because I, I'm rooting against Texas, but because it's going to make a lot of a lot of angry people really rooting for that 12 team playoff next year. But um, I think we're headed towards I'm really curious to see which team's going to get pissed. I think there's going to be a team that's going to be absolutely madness fury, like whatever whatever fan base du jour you think is the bonkers fan base of college football. We're going to watch one of these teams in this top, like, a top six, become that team on a level that no one has ever seen with the fury of a thousand suns. And, boy, is that going to power the next the next season. Nate, I see your hand up. Yeah, so that that's the situation you were describing was, uh, I am a Longhorn fan, so that's kind of my nightmare situation. And, personally, I, 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 I'm accepting the fact that if Alabama does win, that they're going to go above us. So I am rooting for uh, the dogs. So shout out to uh, other Nate in here, Georgia Nate. But I, I am curious uh, if Georgia does end up pulling out the win. Um, let's say Florida State also wins out. I'm, I'm hoping the Gators maybe without, you know, uh, Travis Hunter, um, Florida Gators should maybe do something or even Louisville. Um, but, but, if, but if Florida State did win out and Texas, you know, gets the Big 12 championship, you know, beating Oklahoma State, and what Oregon loses to Washington, um, is that going to be enough to get us in, or, or is it still like very low chances? Like you know, Florida State undefeated, but no no Heisman you know candidate quarterback. Are they still going to get in? Um, and then you have the Michigan Ohio State. You know, whoever loses out of that. Yeah, that's that. That is going to be the. And I got to say, Florida. You know, I don't think Graham Mertz is going to be playing for them because he, I think he injured his collarbone um last week so it's both both teams are going to be kind of in an awkward backup situation with quarterbacks yeah no it's it and yeah it it, that scenario there's a couple of these where that could turn out you know i I see a couple of folks want to talk water boy i see you're unmuted and then ski masks murphy yeah i just want to say in that scenario if you're a texas fan you need to root for oregon to beat washington because Texas, if you know Texas has the one loss and the win over Alabama, that is as inviting, especially if then Alabama beat Georgia, um, versus 
the other scenario that he was describing. If I'm a if I'm a Texas fan, I am definitely rooting for Oregon to beat Washington to try to to get into that fourth spot. I I don't but I don't see how that one works out because they've been ranking Oregon above us the entire time of the playoffs. So why would them beating the number four, number three team? Yeah, I don't like. How does if, that help out Texas at all? If, if Washington wins out, they're they're going to be in no matter what. Yeah, and I, the I agree Ohio with State that. Michigan winner is in no matter what. And we were just describing the the SEC winner being in no matter what. So then you're looking at hopefully Florida State loses, but if Florida State also like yeah, I mean obviously you're rooting for Louisville, but you're also to try to get like a second team out of there would be to have Washington lose, and at least you have an argument now against Oregon. Where if Washington wins, you don't have any argument there. I guess that's boy, fair. that's yeah. that's gonna be a tough. One. Hey, Ski Master Murphy, I see your hand up. I know you want to to, to chime in today. Yeah, I just want to say, well, two things. One thing in all of this mess, I feel like the college football playoff committee they sort of need to like have points similar to like the AP poll, so we can sort of get an idea of how close they think these teams are, and like if there's a gap between how they see teams because. I mean, honestly, when you look at Washington and Oregon, you can sort of see – you can sort of make the sense of, like, hey, we, we can sort of rank these two teams close since their game was only won by a field goal. So whoever wins that game in the end could probably – it'll probably be interchangeable regardless of who wins. But I would say for Texas, I would say they can make the case that, you know, they lost to Oklahoma and they beat Alabama, but they can make the case, like, Oklahoma, that's a neutral site game at the Cotton Bowl versus us going into Alabama's house and getting the win. So they could have that argument. But, I mean, for Texas to get it in, they, they need a little bit of help on a few different fronts. I mean, uh, Nate, if the team you should root for this week should definitely be Oregon State. Because if Oregon State can pull off the win and somehow Oregon comes back and beats Washington, that'll probably give you guys a window. And Florida State, if they lose to Louisville, that I don't know where the committee's going to put them. So it's all – we're, we're just sitting here doing chaos math, and I don't know how any of this works out because, I mean, we don't know the people in that room, and we don't know yeah. how they're going to vote. So anything and, and they, they're, they're totally not consistent because whenever you try to trap them on a you're not being consistent question, Boo Corrigan will just sort of say, well, it's one of many factors we look at. That, that's kind of the game they play whenever you try to, to corner him, and it's always really tricky. And he's good at what he does, so credit to Boo. But, yeah, um, and you, know, you got to remember the first year with TCU and Baylor. Well, and, and, you know, the thing is, this season, what, what makes it so interesting is the chaos scenarios are all so plausible because these are so many good teams. You know, I, I, it's just as viable to imagine Oregon beating Washington in the Pac-12 title game, Alabama beating Georgia in the SEC title game. And then you have, you know, those are not those are far more plausible than, let's say, you know, like some of the others, like, you know, <laughs> Georgia Tech somehow pulling something off or um you know, Iowa somehow pulling off a you know an unexpected victory, but with that, then suddenly you really have a mess because then you're going to have several one-loss teams and potentially more openings in there. But uh, this is a uh, hey, you know, credit due. This is the writers of this season have made it exciting. That's all I got to say. Uh, <laughs> that we have a lot to that we have a lot to talk about because honestly, it's, I love how unpredictable the future of this is going to be. You know, before I forget, I want to do a quick shout out to Washington and Washington State for keeping things sane and announcing that they're going to have a five-game continuation of the Apple Cup uh, despite the the split of the conference. I think that's great. I think it's stupid when teams refuse to do it. 
Yes, I'm looking at you, Texas and Texas A&M, uh, and, and potentially Bedlam. Because, I mean, and it sounds like by all accounts, Oregon and Oregon State are working out their own details. I mean, I say this because there's always been teams that do that. I mean, USC, Notre Dame, obviously Notre Dame's independent, so a little more flexible. You know, but Clemson and South Carolina, Georgia and Georgia Tech, uh, Kentucky and Louisville, um, you know, University of Miami and the Drug Enforcement Agency. There's lots of these rivalries that manage to transcend conferences. But... um, (laughs) Sorry, I can't resist that one. But uh, yeah, I, but still, I think that's exciting, and hopefully, we'll see some more of these teams kind of uh, pull their heads from from other places and, and use it. You know, speaking of the Beavers, the thing that that kind of strikes me is we keep seeing because the coaching carousel is in full steam right now. We've got some serious. I mean, because obviously Syracuse added themselves to the pool. It's always fun to kind of create a list, create a create an opportunity for yourself to see what teams are looking for coaches and what head coaches and assistant coaches and free agents are out there that could potentially be coaches at other schools. And I got to say, this is, I'm not going to get too into the details on this one, but um, there's some ex- potentially exciting moves here, particularly when you have an A&M out there that could really shake it up by just stripping almost any head coach from another program that you wouldn't expect. I mean, within reason, Nick Saban ain't leaving, but you know, some of these others, could be in play. But one of those coaches that's kind of got me thinking, I'm not sure if he's going to stick around, even though he's got such loyalty to the program, is uh, Beavers head coach Jonathan Smith. Because uh, Oregon State's looking great. And this is the dark side of what's happening in the Pac-12. You know, the conference is, is going to be kind of, you know, slowly transitioning into some kind of arrangement, probably with the Mountain West. They're not going to be pulling in nearly the amount of money and he's a desirable candidate for several jobs. So, And he's actually been really interesting, only because he's also been really straightforward about the fact that, yeah, he's realistic. He's like, you know, the quote that I saw in RCFB, he was asked if his agent is talking to other schools, and Smith was like, he better be. I mean, that's his job to me to, know, to let me know what's out there. Otherwise, why am I paying him so much? I mean, you're talking about a couple of million so far. It's an agent's job to let you know what the offers are. So... He's not playing. I mean, I give him credit. Like that's the most straightforward, honest, goodness answer of what it's like to be uh, to be a head coach in that situation. Now, I'll always caution: every head coach says they are completely committed to the job they have until they are on that plane heading over to the new job, because you don't want to end up the uh, the June Jones of the world. For those who may not remember June Jones, who obviously really became famous for taking that that incredible regular undefeated regular season uh for Hawaii that ended in brutal fashion to Georgia in the Sugar Bowl but we'll set that aside uh you know after that you know there was a kind of a disagreement he left the school because he was frustrated at, at program support he goes to um SMU then i believe it was Arizona State he he's coveting openly coveting the Arizona State job Makes it sound like it's a done deal. While he's at SMU, he makes it sound like I'm going to be the next coach at Arizona State. And what it sounds like is within Arizona State, there was a uh, some kind of disagreement. Maybe it was donors. I'm not sure. But the entire candidacy dropped off. They went in a different direction. And June Jones was still at SMU having basically said, I am my foot's out the door. I can't wait to be the Sun Devils head coach. You don't want to be a June Jones because that team completely those those final couple of seasons he was at SMU. You could tell the team just didn't care anymore because their head coach had, had done that. So you're 100 percent committed to your job, no matter what job you have until you take that next one. Um, just one of those classic recommendations there. 
you know, um, as we're kind of slowly getting into a point where I'd like to wrap this up, one of the things that kind of came up on RCFB, Iowa-Nebraska, the weird rivalry, only because it's got the one of the worst names when the Big, Tw- Big Ten was coming up with just the most generic, craptastic names for uh, the new teams that had joined the Heroes game. That's what they call Iowa-Nebraska. I mean, there's got to be a better name for it. Everyone dislikes it. And that's kind of the question, like what teams should uh, name them. My favorite suggestion in this post wasn't what to name the rivalry, but a Nebraska fan, <clears throat> Guy, uh, pardon me, Guy, oh my gosh, let's hear, Guy RPI, not even a hard name. I don't know why I had trouble with that. He suggests a trophy for this rivalry between Iowa and Nebraska should be an actual tracker. Um, I think that got the most traction, so to speak, on the uh, the post. Iowa fans, Sunshiny Day, said absolutely drive it back and forth once a year. So I love that idea. Why not put a tracker? If, if there's cannons that are used, as trophies for multiple schools, why not there be a tractor? One other article I wanted to point out, Ross Dellinger, who I, I respect a great deal. He's at Yahoo nowadays. He's been doing some great articles over the season, but the one that caught my attention now is he was getting into the, the future of college football, particularly at the P5. And you know the title of the article is, Is College Athletics Headed for the Great Split? It came out to, earlier today. You can find it on Yahoo. But in that article... They, he got into some of the conversations that are happening finally openly. And one of those things is w- ahead of this game, Michigan at Maryland, there was actually some athletic directors and um, people in administrations basically came down and talked about the future of where it seems things are going. And Maryland's always well-placed for this only because it's near right outside of D.C. where a lot of these decisions get made in terms of policy. But basically, the belief now is, and and confirmed by Maryland, Maryland's AD basically said what everyone has assumed is being said behind closed doors, that within five years, and and most of them believe much sooner, the Power Five conference schools will likely end up operating under a new governance structure that features an athlete revenue sharing model. Um, Some of them are calling it the great split. This has been kind of coming on and off for years. You know, the question used to be called a name I hated, Division Four, which the number numerically seems in the wrong direction. But the concern is, and the why is this coming to a head is because of the ongoing litigation right now. It seems like things that are going on, not only proposals in California for new legislation, because California's what kicked off what became NIL, but the the lawsuits, uh, you know, the, the including the House antitrust case against the NCAA, all of these kind of pressure points are going to force a position where. We're going to have to see if players can be paid or at least have some element of revenue sharing. And if that happens, you're going to have programs that can do it and programs that simply cannot. And are those programs, therefore, going to want these these advanced programs, the programs that have the financial wherewithal to do it, to split off? It seems like we may be heading in that direction, and it seems like, at least behind closed doors, a lot of these schools are slowly, quietly being prepared for it. I think... Quite frankly, they learn what happens when you don't prepare at all and just hope it goes away. You get NIL suddenly getting sprung on everyone, and no one knows exactly what to do with it. And then you get a couple of years of chaos of money being thrown in random places, and and you get those surprises. I see we got a couple of hands up. So, Ski Master Murphy, I saw yours come up first. Thoughts? Yeah, this isn't something that's well. It's been going around in the Michigan community for a while because Jim Harbaugh's been a proponent of it getting the players revenue share, but it's also gotten a little bit bigger once this whole 
Case got involved, but a lot of people in the Big Ten have been saying this may be like retribution against Harbaugh for trying to get players paid. But this is him, for me, it came on to my notice during the, um, I think it was probably like 2013, 2014, where um, the Northwestern football players lobbied with the with their state union to get to get um, all athletes in Northwestern recognized yeah. as employees. Yeah, I remember and then that. Then that was that an interesting moment. I think that was the first moment that really kind of came to a head where people were like, whoa, they want to actually vote for whether or not they want to organize. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and then initially they won, but through like appeals and other lawyers, stuff, the NCAA sort of got that going. But yeah, that was sort of like the first point. Then the, the talk of Division Four, which I agree with you, was they're going the wrong way with that number, and it's just not a good name for it. And then the whole California thing, that was sort of their idea for a point in time when they were trying to get NIL to happen. Then the NCAA sort of like threatened was like, if you guys get NIL, we'll sort of like, you'll be kicked out of the NCAA and every NCAA school will be barred from participating with any schools in California due to NIL. And then the state of California sort of like just called their bluff and said, we have enough schools in the state that we could actually have a very competitive and televised thing going on. And I think it's things are going to come to a head. I mean, back during that court case in the 80s where all the coaches talking about, you know, rearranging how college football TV is done, uh, the few smaller school coaches basically said, it's going to come to a head at some point where everything's going to get broken up, where it's going to either be pro-God, like professional college teams versus actual college teams. And I think it's going to go to that way. The big schools are going to break off at a point. Yeah, it's, 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 I'm a little worried about how that's going to turn out. Not worried that like the sky is falling, but it definitely there's going to be some serious winners and all of that. You know, I, I want to just Google because I remember, I want to remember what year it was. It was 2014, so you're close, when Northwestern players kind of organized there. And then it kind of culminated the following year in 2015 when the National Relation, probably the Nas- yeah, National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, um, ended up ruling against them unanimously. Um, although I'm not sure if that, I think it was such a novel thing at the time, uh, but they denied the the claim that they are a uh, university employees that would have allowed them to form a union and collectively bargain. So they weren't allowed to, to move forward with that. But again, that was 2015. And there's so much has changed, especially with the litigation and the, the new rules and, and the push um, in various corners that I'd be curious to see where this moves, and particularly where California might drag everyone um, with them on that. John, I saw your hand up. Yeah, not not a serious. I'm just curious what you uh, think the Big Ten would call the uh, USC Rutgers game uh, as a rivalry. <laughs> oh my goodness, USC Rutgers! That would be a fun rivalry name. I mean, what would we even call that? Oh man, um, you know it. it hmm. I'd love to hear ideas if anyone's got some ideas out there. I mean, yeah, Nate, I see your hand up. The Coast to Coast Bowl. There you go. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> I mean, that is, it's going to be the, the New York Metro School, which they love to generously include themselves in, versus the school that's actually in LA. So that, that, that's going to be a hell of a game. I mean, and what are we going to call like UCLA, Indiana? Well, that's a basketball rivalry right there. So what am I even saying? I mean, forget about the, uh, Forget about the football programs. I don't know why I didn't even think about that the moment I said it. But um, 
All right, let's see here. You know, I'm going to go ahead and slowly wrap this up um, just because it's kind of, uh, it's going to be about 90 minutes of showtime, not quite. Um, I just wanted to thank all of you for listening. This was RCFB Talk 166. My name is Bob Akairi. We do these every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. We talk about college football, whatever your thoughts are. So much going on. We're getting to these the final week of the regular season. I Who knows what will go right? Who knows what will go wrong? Depending on whose team it is. We'll have all the favorite teams win out, minus whoever wins, uh, Michigan and Ohio State. Or will we see chaos reign? Or a mix of both. It's been a very kind of stable couple of weeks. It seems like we've got one kind of coming up for us. So if depending on what happens, we'll be happy to talk about it here on RCFB Talk. So again, on behalf of all of us here, thank you for joining us. If you missed the beginning of this, these automatically turn into a recording on Twitter. But if you miss that, if you prefer here as a podcast, we'll eventually upload it wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf, again, of all of us, thanks for listening. Now I'm hang up.